yo, make sure there's like fish in this bowl. And like, I'm cool. It's yeah. Like, all right, word. <laughs> like, I might come up and purr on you. I might not. Whatever. I don't know. I'll sit on this w- window for three days. Like, don't worry about me. It's like, okay, dope. It's like, sweet. Hey, wait, that's a triple play. New episodes of Kim Yeah. Open your mind at the first gate. Press play, no need to debate. Hey, wait. Check me out. Yeah. Clocked in, you can catch the hype. Golden Dawn, how we follow the light. Anime like life. Uh, married to it, my wife. Uh, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages? Welcome back to the AOA Show. I'm your host, as always, Ian, along with the boy Isaiah. Oh, hi. And Gavin's with us here in spirit today. We are going over Tower of God questions covering Season 3, Episodes 20. Hang on, I got this. 29 mm-hmm. to 37. Mm-hmm. Ha-ha! Got it. All right, 29 to 37. Season three, that's what we're covering today. If you didn't catch our live stream yet, definitely go check that out. Link is in the description down below under the AOA Reacts channel where you can catch all of our live read-throughs for Tower of God and all of our live reactions, hence the name. So you definitely want to go check that out and uh, then head on back. Also, stay tuned for our blog post discussion coming out uh, later this week as well, going over these same chapters. But we had our Discord ask us questions. We tallied the most upvoted Uh, We have a top seven here, and Isaiah and I are going to answer them today. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Uh, Without further ado, though, let's hop into the first question. So question number one comes from Vladimir. What is your take on the Super Saiyan Yama? What do you think the final complete transformation would be? Number one, that's a mouthful. Number two, before I answer this, though, I did just want to say that there were a lot of upvoted questions this week for some folks, so we did have to narrow it down to the top seven. So don't be discouraged if yours is not there. We'll definitely get a lot of you in the videos to come. But I just want to shout that out because you all had some really good questions. So, um, But answering this question here in the here and now from Vladimir, um, I liked it. I thought it was dope. I, I said during the live stream that it was kind of reminiscent of the Super Saiyan 4 iteration from uh, Dragon Ball um, GT. GT, thank you. From Dragon Ball mm-hmm. GT, which is my personal favorite transformation, just because it, it symbolizes, it ge- it like genuinely shows you the mix between what the Saiyans are capable of transforming into, i.e. the, the giant monkey, um, but that it's contained within the human body. And I like the idea of, you once you reach a certain point, it's impossible to avoid hitting that stage. So, like in the Super Saiyan terms, the monkey, but it's just compressed, right? And mm-hmm. you kind of have the same power. And I thought that was a similar vibe we got with Yama's transformation here. So I really liked that a lot. And it's canon, which is great in Tower of God, which it's not in <laughs> Dragon Ball. So I could rejoice with that too. Tail was a little long, little extra, uh, my personal opinion. But we're going over the look here. So, but beyond that, absolutely shredded. Like this guy is probably has the best looking male body in the show or in this in this webtoon that we've seen yet i'm actually hard pressed to to find anyone that competes with that yet and we've seen some pretty ripped people in this story so like props to yama on that one uh he's he's currently got the title there but i I liked the design i thought it was cool and what do i think the final uh complete transformation would be shit man i don't know i thought that was it because he was like this is my final transformation then does it he's like just kidding it's not and i'm like well, is it or isn't it, right? And even SIU says in his blog post the same thing. He's like, all right, we drew today Yama's final transformation. Then like a thing later, I'd like to stress this is not his final transformation. I'm like, you're sending me mixed signals here. Like, I don't know what to think. So I, if I had to guess, it would be 
if it was something even more gnarly and crazy than this, it would be um, like he's like this, dis- not disgusting, but like this larger creature that's even maybe more animalistic because I know Yama states that he uses his left and his right arm one at a time and goes full transformation with them. And when he does use them, they get like large looking and jagged and, you know, with all the claws and they're, they're really big. So I maybe would assume if he's going full transformation, then that would affect his whole body. Hence the name, but that's really the best I could come up with there. Um, I think it would be cool for sure. Obviously it would be like, it would be tough for him to maintain that state because it's tough enough for him to maintain the state that he's in now. So it'd be cool to see this like last ditch effort thing uh, where he just goes balls to the wall with that. But what were your thoughts on Yama's final transformation? Um, I thought it was cool too. It, I definitely also got super Saiyan four vibes from it. Um, I also did think that it was funny that he's like, it's the final transformation, but not final. It's like, well, final in here over here means <laughs> Like, that's it. There's nothing <laughs> after. So maybe just don't use the word final <laughs> or complete if it's not the final <laughs> or complete version. It just seems like, you know, uh, but, you know, <laughs> that's kind of how Tower Guy be doing you sometimes. Um, but it definitely was dope. It was really badass. And it definitely does do well to personify, you know, this like larger, almost, this literally larger than life. Uh, king of the canine people uh, aesthetic. It was interesting, like you were saying, though, that when. I guess, like, what he considers, like, the full transformation, like, this thing, whatever that is, has to be this, like, massive, like, straight animal. Like, I I would imagine that there's probably not going to be a lot of, like, human uh, visuals left in Yama, um, that it's going to be this, like, just this fucking, like, giant, massive, like, hound with like blades for hand like it's it's just gonna be some gnarly looking fucking thing and it's gonna be you know it's not gonna resemble yama i mean like it'll it'll resemble yama in that like i'm sure like the hair color will be the same and and you know whatever but like you know all the animal traits in yama are that's all that's gonna be left visually you know what i mean like it's just gonna be that and you know whatever crazy freaking you know contraptions or whatever uh so he wants to add on to them but whatever it is it's gonna be badass and it probably i i would wager to guess that we're gonna see it in this like upcoming fight with yasaracha i have a feeling yama's gonna turn up because he because the last time we saw them uh he like they he was doing the the mind control thing on him and he is like making him beat himself up but then he uses the transformation mode to break that so I have a feeling that, like, full, full transformation, which is actually interesting because it tells me that the fact that when they're in that, like, pseudo-mixed canine state, that, like, that's what makes them susceptible to control. And the closer they get to their, like, original canine form, like, that actually makes them the least susceptible, which is interesting. I don't know. I would I would actually, I would have thought that, like, it's the opposite. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, that it's, like, you know, the closer they get to the canine side of themselves, the closer their, their mind gets to that, too, which would make it easier to control. But whatever um yeah th- that's really all my thoughts on it it was dope and i think it'll get doper <laughs> <laughs> word well, hit us up with the next one then because it's right. a similar beat uh second question comes to us from the fire potato she says thoughts on our little kitty boy yasaracha do you find him intimidating underwhelming etc um i love him i definitely think it's you know this is like of course the yin yang this is the perfect matchup against yama and the canine people um is to get cat people in here um <laughs> I find him intimidating, but not 
because of like the same reason. Like he's not some, you know, he's not a Yama. He's not some massively jacked dude who can like, you know, crush your skull with like his two fingers. And, you know, he's just like all about being like brute force and that's it. There's like a weird, um, like calm scary to this guy where it's like, you know, actually funny, I guess, because I guess this is what SIE was going for with the whole relating them to these animal things. Yama is like a dog, right? He's big, he's loud, he's aggressive, and, like, you get a dog like that, you know why it's scary, because it's big, it's loud, it's barking at you, and, like, it's got these massive teeth and the, these these claws. But cats, like, aren't, can be intimidating, but they're not in the same way, right? Cats are very manipulative, they're very quiet, they're very calculated. They're very, like, this guy is intimidating to me, because I feel like at all times he knows exactly what's going on, and he knows exactly how to control people and get them to... A, literally, because he has that ability, but B, just even through sheer, like, charisma and conversation. Like, he, he seems like, I, I, I would I would be hard-pressed to imagine this guy loses his cool, uh, like, very often. And he's, he just seems like somebody who is a, a master at playing the game here, uh, really working people over and getting them to do his bidding. You know, whether that's, like, people on his side, getting them to do what he says, or his opponents, like, having them play right into his hand. Um yeah, so I would definitely say he's intimidating, but, like, just in a completely flipped, you know, uh, sort of way. And I do, just for the aesthetic part of it, I do just like the character. I like his design. I like how you related his eyes to watermelon eyes because that's, like, that was the color scheme that he got from it. Um, but, yeah, I just like his his whole – I love the whole catch stick. It, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, I echo a lot of the thoughts in the – terms of intimidation that you were saying right where i do agree there's a different air of intimidation that comes from his style of fighting and his demeanor and the fact that he has this cat-like sense right in him as compared to the dog so i agree there um in terms of his design it's it's you know it's literally the canine people but just a cat so because they just have ears and and whatever and a tail maybe uh there's really not much difference in it so um i'm not gonna lie and say that i think his design is overwhelmingly cooler because i also didn't really screw with the design that the dog people had so i'd be a little hypocritical if i said that this guy was just cooler just because sure. so i don't care for it personally um in terms of the ears and the tail and all that crap but his eyes are sweet i do like the the watermelon eyes i thought that was a nice touch that was cool and what i really like about him and his whole aesthetic isn't necessarily him, uh, Yasracha himself, but his cat. I, I freaking love that cat. It's really what it is. Like this giant cat. puppy cat that just like walks on thin air and just like, and like has these reactions to when things are going on to it's me. It's like his battle horse. Yeah, like he, like, rides into battle. he rides his cat into battle. Like, and I feel like if you're incorporating that as part of Yasracha's aesthetic, then yeah, I do like it more for the large cat. I think that's hilarious and, and cute and terrifying all at would the same you, time. Would you say that you, would you like Yama's aesthetic more if you had a giant dog? I might. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this actually ties into another question too, that didn't make the list here, but I, I figure since it's just us two quickly, we could say it was by Nathan and it was uh cat or dog people. And they and they were like that is all right and and I was even afraid to put it because I'm like here we go we're gonna split half of our fan base over something so ridiculous because I'm like how about both <laughs> you know like I never did yeah, yeah. but I think like just watching our live stream you might get a clue as to which one we sympathize with more and if you haven't seen it yet that's all I'll say but I do I do like both of them it's just there it's contextual like there are cats that are great that I've met. 
and ones that I've owned and then ones that are just like get out of my face because they're just really mean and rotten. And then, but the same thing has happened with dogs, right? Where it's like there have been some really nice dogs or well-behaved ones and they, they've been, you know, fun to play with. I've owned some. And then there are ones, you know, where it's, it's, they're either really annoying or mean or whatever, the same exact thing. So I think it applies to both and depending on the circumstance. Like if I'm it's trying like, to sit and read a book, you know, like I want the cat. But if yeah. I'm trying to like run around the neighborhood or like take a walk, like then I want the dog. Yeah, it's weird because like there's, uh, you know, and we've talked about this like just with anime where it's like the second you're like, I like this one thing. They're like, why do you hate everything else? <laughs> and it's like, I didn't say that. I just said I really, like, I, I think I would say I prefer cats, but by no means does that mean I hate dogs. I just, it's a personality thing with me. You know, I can barely take care of myself. So <laughs> I love the idea of an animal that is very low maintenance and I don't really yeah. have to like watch or keep an eye on or it's not as clingy as most dogs can be. It's just kind of like, yo, make sure there's like fish in this bowl and like, I'm cool. It's yeah. Like, I ain't worried. <laughs> like, I might come up and purr on you. I might not. Whatever. I don't know. I'll sit on this w window for three days. Like, don't worry about me. It's like, okay, dope. It's like, sweet. Next to this dog, it's like, what are we doing? What's going on? What's yeah. going You know, it's like, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm very, I'm not like that. But like dogs are, you know, some dogs anyway, can be cute and, and are cool. And, and that companionship is, you know, is nice to have more so for some people than me. But like, I don't know, cats are just low key and I'm low key. Yeah. They don't care, bro. They, they, really don't. <laughs> they really don't. It's like they could give a crap less if you drop dead or not. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but there's like something nice about that in a weird, yeah. messed up way. Because it's like, I guess maybe it makes it when they do show affection, it's, it's like that much sweeter, maybe. maybe. I don't know. And then like, I don't know. They're just funny. It's just yeah. like, it just makes me laugh because it's like, I, I think it's a opposites. temperament thing yeah. with people. It's really like based on you yeah, as, as like how you live your life and how you are temperament wise. And, and that, that's what it is. Like a dog can be super fulfilling and maybe even more so than a cat. Maybe not depending on who you are, yeah. but the but you have to take that much more care of the dog for the sure, most part, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you have to, and we are out. speaking generally cause there, there can be clean cats yes, and course. there can be, you know, low key dogs, but like generally speaking, generally speaking, yes. Um, you know, you put more care into the dog generally, um, than the cat. And that could be more rewarding for some people. But I feel like there are a lot of people out there that want a dog for maybe the, not that there are the wrong reasons per se, but without understanding all the things that are implied with owning a living animal. Whereas a cat is a little bit of a safer option due to the fact that they virtually do 90% of the things that you would need to do for a dog themselves. You just kind of just, you know, empty their litter box once in a while and, and feed them and they're just kind of, they're going to chill. So anyway, enough with that tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sriracha is cool <laughs> and his big cat's cool. So anyway, moving on to the next question we have by Kenshi. Kenshi asks, what are your thoughts on Bomb being able to use transformation to manifest the red Thresha? Any possible forms or training to gain new levels? I thought it was sweet, personally. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool because of how out of nowhere it came, at least for me, because it's Bomb always does this thing where he does something. You're like, how the hell? What? Why? Like, where is this coming from? And then you remember that he's a literal sponge, and you're like, aha you have that aha moment and and then in hindsight it's like well no duh you know something like that would come together but i really like the idea that bomb has this transformation thing but since the red threesha itself is the piece of an administrator administrators are not not of this world in the sense that you can't be like yeah they're like a dog or a cat or like some common animal that you know no it's like 
I don't know what that is, right? It's like an alien, basically. So the fact that it's now taken on this transformation form is something that's really sweet with it. I love the uh, the eye, how it had the eyeball within the blade or the cutlery, if you're cultured. Uh, watch our stream, you'll get it. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. And I'd like to see if this can manifest itself even further because it seems to do that within the course of that fight alone. It comes, it becomes small at first and then it, very large. So I like, you know, maybe there's some like crazy Susano style thing where it just like comes, you know, cause it didn't seem to transform bomb himself, right? Like bombs physical physicality didn't change. Like bombs arm didn't turn into that. It kind of was on top of it. Whereas Yama and gang, their literal body transforms. So I almost see it more as like a shell that comes around. So I guess the red threesha can, you know, be controlled, which is all the upside and none of the down really, you know, when it, when it comes to that, which is great. Cause it's like, I don't have to look hideous in order to be badass, Right. So that'll be cool to see if it's like this outer shell or bombs able to utilize it in different ways. Um, I thought it was really cool. And I'm excited to see it gain new levels. I think if it gains new levels, what would be cool would be to see more of the actual, personified form of it. So more of, you know, just instead of the eye, like all of a sudden, like a mouth starts to form or like whatever, you know, starts to be there along with the, with the edges and things like that. I don't know. I think it'd be pretty cool. There's a lot of things you could do with it. So what do you think? Uh, I also thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I, and I did, like you were saying, it's stuff that maybe slips by you or you don't notice in the moment or, or not, you don't notice in the moment, but like, so SIU does do this very good thing of, um, you know, we refer to it. What is it? Uh, forget the name of the guy but like the gun law Dostoevsky yeah mm. where you put a gun on the wall act one needs to be shot in act three where it's like he will won't ever show you a panel just to, like because he felt like it yeah <laughs> one because we know this man's history if he's drawing something it, it, like it matters he's not just wasting his fucking his wrist <laughs> you know on nothing he can't afford to. yeah exactly <laughs> but like you know also in terms of storytelling if he puts a panel in the story it's there for a reason, and and I did recall right when he did the transformation that there is a panel right after he has that moment with Doom, where Doom tries to turn him into a canine person, uh, and that like it seems like Bam negates it almost, and Doom's like, "What the fuck happens?" There's like literally one panel of Bam laying on the ground, and there's this weird black like streak that's going into his body, and I think that was Bam absorbing the ability to transform from Doom's, uh, you know, his weird fucking spiky thing. Um, <laughs> And so now, yeah, when we get the, this payoff of Bam, Bam being able to use the transformation, one, I think it's cool because now the Red Threesha can manifest in a much more literal and physical sense in his fights and stuff, which is always cool because the thing just looks cool. Um, but I will say, I'm not, and, and one, I do like that it's, that like you were saying, it's more like armor in the sense that it doesn't actually change his, his physical body, but it sort of envelops and wraps around it. Um, so, like, fair enough. But I wouldn't actually... Like, I actually, at least with Bam, in terms of this transformation, I would like it to be something, like, more subtle or more of an even mix of the two. Like, so something that it reminds me of is, like, you know, we brought up Susano from Naruto, but, like, the Ninetales, when Naruto masters it and fully links with Kurama, and, it be and he goes into that linked mode where it's, like, very obvious that he is, you know, linked and connected with the Ninetales, but he still 100% like looks like Naruto. There is no, like, I think I would like something like that where it's like maybe he gets the red three, his eyes and the horns, but like Bam still state. Cause I, Ooh, I think okay. like that, I, I would want there to be some visual difference in the kind of transforming that canine people do and the kind of transforming that Bam does just to signify. And again, I also think just from a narrative perspective, like 
this idea that, again, Bam isn't letting this thing consume him. Rather, Bam is utilizing its power. So, that, but that's just my personal take. Um, and possible forms of training to gain new levels. I actually think that much like we've sort of seen Bam learn from his past opponents in previous arcs and stuff, that Yama might actually be the one to train Bam and, like, help him utilize the transformation technique because who the fuck better that, you know, to, that's literally all Yama's ever done. He's, that's the reason he's one of the only people to to do the full transformation because he's like, I just trained my ass off, like, all day. I just worked on it. That's what I did. And so, like, yeah, I, Yama, I can't think of a better person to, to you know, show Bam, like, all right, this is what this this is the technique you have, but, like, this is what you're going to have to do to, like, be able to get there full. Because I think, what, he only got to level two, right, what, in the chapters we read la or most recently in the stream. Um, so, you know, I would imagine, uh, what, what we've heard was eight, I think. Uh, or seven, like an eight is is the the final one. We think, yeah. yeah somebody yeah, yeah. said seven, and then okay. the next one we heard was complete. So yeah. I'm like, are there eight levels, or did he just like skip the next three? <laughs> after that. Yeah. So let's assume that there's a round eight. <laughs> um, Bam's at two, so he still has a you know a, a pretty long. If we're going again, because that's the other thing, right? This isn't the canine power, right? So this isn't like some animal. This is the red three shot. I don't know if the red three shot can just be like, I'm fucking skipping those steps. Fuck that noise. <laughs> like eight steps. No, it's <laughs> just two to 10, <laughs> but like, you know, so I don't know, but I think it, nonetheless, it'd be interesting to get Yama's insight, uh, give Yama's insight to Bam on like how the transforming works, how to make it stronger, how to improve it. Yada, yada. I do also think it's interesting though, that Yama mentions that he doesn't, maybe like is the wrong word, but he doesn't prefer or he doesn't, he doesn't spam or always use the full transformation because of how taxing it is on his body. So that might also hint to if Bam, you know, for Bam not to rely on this because it might give the red Threesha like an opening or the blue Threesha even. Because that was the other thing I theorized in the stream. It might actually be cool if the red, similar to how that first power-up he got where like he got the blue horn, the red horn, if the red Threesha transforms on like one half his body and the blue one actually transforms on the other half his body. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Being that those are little demons that I think are low-key trying to take Bam's body over, um, <laughs> overusing this ability might give them an opening to consume Bam's body. So, like, I, I wonder if there's going to be some, like, give and take here where it's like, all right, you got this, but, like, don't, you know, Yama's going to be like, don't go nuts because, like, that shit, well, like, I don't know what that shit is. Like, I got canine blood <laughs> in me. I don't know what's going on with you, but, like, that shit looks dangerous. Uh, you know, so don't fuck with it. But, yeah, I all, you know, overall, I do think it's very, very cool. Mm. All right. Question four comes to us from Vladimir and Riru. Thank you guys both for the question. They said, what would you choose? Oh, boy, sounds very divisive. Uh, Riru, what, uh, was Bam selfish to hold out his hand to Dang Dang? What are your thoughts on Gato's motivation for driving the canine people to destruction? Do you think that Bam will one day go down the same route for someone he cares about? Why or why not? Um... This one was pre prefaced, by the way, of are you guys ready to have a three-hour discussion? <laughs> yeah, this is I, that's probably one of the heaviest hitting questions it in, had the the whole, most yeah, yeah. in the whole arc. Because um, it was a pretty big one. I, I, did, I really absolutely loved this moment. I loved it for Bam because we've had this conversation. It's been echoed lit literally to Bam by several of the characters in the story that it's like, Bam, this mindset you have of always being able to save everybody is just naive. Like, it's not going to work. It's not how the real world functions. Like, you realistically literally cannot always save everybody somebody will die um so it had to happen it, 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 this this moment had to happen for bam and it had to i don't want to say be a consequence of bam because you know i would I, I would imagine that like had bam not intervened with dang dang that this result would have happened in a different way um so i and and like it's not bam's fault that it, like bam didn't kill him um but i guess it, it had to happen as a 
by means of Bam's direct involvement, right? Because, of course, now I'm sure Bam's going to beat himself up at it and he's going to feel responsible for it. But I think it was very interesting that, like, Louis's moment to Bam when he echoes in this conversation is that he's like, you, like, the next time you're in this situation, like, do not let this, what happened here with Dang Dang, scare you from ever reaching your hand out to anyone else ever again. Because no matter the outcome here, like, even in that instance, even if it was, you know, temporary or fading because Dang Dang ended up dying, like, that saved this boy's life. Like, he felt in that moment, whether, because, you know, Dang Dang knew about the whole heart switching thing. Dang Dang knew, essentially, he was growing up as a, as a cage, as a vessel, as, a, as a, just a thing for, for Louis' heart here. So it's like, but in that moment, he didn't care about any of that. In that moment, Bam inspired him to, like, enjoy his life and want to fight to live it and, 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 and keep it. And, like, giving somebody that is, is an incredibly amazing gift and opportunity. And, and so I, I like that, you know, while Louis is literally going through the trauma of losing his friend, he's like, don't, like, this, this was rough. And, you know, I'm sure you, you want to blame yourself, but like, don't, you didn't, you did the right thing and don't ever let this stop you from doing the right thing because you should never turn your hand away from somebody or your help just because you're scared it might not work. That is no reason not to try, which is a incredibly mature for someone like Louis to say. Um, and I, I personally think incredibly true. Uh, you know what I mean? I think that's, what's ultimately going to, uh, define Bam as a character. As you said in the blog post that he never wants. So if you compare somebody like Bam to somebody like Doom, this is a, a specific comparison he makes where he's like, doom is a very, it, like, it's not, I personally think doom is just a dick, but uh, <laughs> I think as I said, SIU goes, you know, is, is thorough in stating that he's like doom. It's not so much that he's like a jerk or he's trying to be mean. He's just been around the block so many times that he's very practical and very rational about situations. So and he he has a line in that moment when Bam is sort of like going through the the thick of it in his head, um, which again in a sense isn't wrong. He's like, yeah, Dang Dang's dead. Like, more some people died before Dang Dang, and some people are gonna die after Dang Dang. This isn't something you're gonna get away from. Like, you can't let this shit rock you this hard because like it's gonna happen. We're about to get into a war. You know, what I mean? other people are gonna die in a war. So it's like, you know, obviously again, and the, but but the difference here, what I'm getting at is. SIU makes a point to state that he doesn't ever want Bam to become a character like Doom, where he's seen so much death that it no longer phases him. He always kind of wants Bam. He Bam may not hold on to the naivety of... Is that a word? Naivety? I don't know. Naivete. Naivety. Naivete. Um, he never wants him to, to hold on to that, where it's like, oh, I'm going to save everybody, but he also doesn't want Bam to ever get into this place where he's no longer phased by death. He always wants to, to sort of really hit him hard. Um which is important because I think it always it, it, it cements the fact that Bam cares about human life. He always does and always will value the life of a person, regardless who they are, regardless what their status is, regardless what they mean to him or whatever, um, which is interesting because it gets into the next part of his question. Do you think Bam could ever go down this way to save somebody he cares about? I would like to say, I got to be honest, I would like to say no, but I just don't know. I, I like I would like to say no. I would like to I would like to think that in Bam's mind at the end of the day, trading one life for another life just doesn't make sense. And so even if somebody he uh, really cares about is about to die, if he has to kill somebody else to bring that person back to life, like that he's, that's a trade he's not going to, he, he wouldn't feel comfortable making and he wouldn't want to make because again, it, it would be a clash against his character. Um, but quite frankly, the difference between a situation like that and a situation 
that all the situations Bam's been in before up till now is all the deaths that he's encountered with people he knows he had no hand in being able to stop or prevent, right? Think about well, okay, he doesn't know actually about um uh Arc Raptor and Prince. Uh so fair enough. But like um blanking on literally everybody's name. Iwa. Iwa and and went and Sim Swordsman and when that whole thing happened, he thought they were dead. And there's other characters that he's interacted with that have died, you know, as a, as a consequence of him going, climbing up the tower and stuff. But those deaths, he wasn't able to do anything about. He couldn't stop or intervene. If Bam was put in a situation where, like, him literally taking somebody else's life could save another person, and especially if that person is somebody he cares about, like, let's put it this way. I definitely think he would consider it. I think he would think about it. But I, I would like to think, you know, and maybe it's just me being optimistic as an influence of Bam, I would like to think that at the end of the day, as tough as it is, you know, the principle of his morals would state that, like, trading one life for another, like, doesn't, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Just, you know, the, your bias of that person being somebody you like can't, you know, it can't away another innocent's life, especially if that person is innocent uh, being taken. So that's what I think. Wow, that was deep. <laughs> um, seriously, and I, I do echo... Uh, yeah, about a hundred percent of everything that you said. To be honest, there wasn't anything that I was like, I disagree with that. Um, I'm pretty on board with all of it. And yeah, the only way I could see Bomb doing it is if there's some sort of self justification. If it's like, okay, I have to get rid of White for Coon or or something like oh, that, okay, where it's yeah. like some dude that Bomb has genuinely had bloodlust for before, or someone that's just like, ha ha! If I live, I'm going to wipe out a whole city or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And Bomb's like, well, that was an easy choice. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think it would make it as compelling. Sure. So if that's the case, then yeah, that's the easy easy way out. Um, so I think Bomb might do that. But I think what you're asking, not to put words in the mouth, but at least the way I'm interpreting it, would it would be that scenario that Isaiah had brought up. So in that case, I do agree with you there. I think that would be the thing. Um, yeah, and I don't think Bomb was selfish, like Isaiah said, to hold out his hand for Dang Dang, especially through all the dialogue and everything we get later on. Also remembering, too, seems like a simple thing, but like this was Dang Dang's destination if Bomb didn't hold out his hand yeah. as well. So, I mean, if anything, Bomb just gave him a little bit more time, freedom to see Louie again uh, or to, you know, give it another shot. Yeah, yeah. We don't. You know, we don't hit them all. I feel so like, yeah, I feel like ultimately, not sorry, not to no, it's good, off, it's good, but that it was Dang Dang. The two options were Dang Dang is definitely going to die, or Dang Dang gets to fight for a chance to live. Yeah. And that the latter option again is not a guarantee. It's a calculated risk. It's not. It's not him holding out that hand. Is not like you grab my hand and I promise you will be safe no matter what. But it's like you grab my hand and I'm going to give you a chance to fight for your life. Yeah. That's not a fight that we guarantee you will win, but like giving somebody that opportunity, that chance to fight, is incredibly important, and and equally as important as, you know, as, or you know, the difference between that and just laying over and dying is the difference between quitting and not and not giving up. You know what I mean? So that's no, I agree. Yeah, and Bomb definitely beats himself up a bit, and it was good to see Bomb be introspective and honest with himself, right? Where he says, "Did I even?" want to save him on that level was it was i prioritizing one thing over another which is a really important lesson to learn for him True. um but yeah the, it was it was an interesting moment all around one that i think was good overall for the story for sure one that i thoroughly enjoyed i love these deep moral moments where it's like i have to be honest with myself because i messed up and now lives are on the line and it's it's not so black and white i um i like this kind of thing in storytelling for sure so i like this part um now i'm curious to see that though 
with like the main cast. Yeah. That's the real test yeah, because yeah. we've been through this a couple times, kind of getting off the question for a second, but we've been through this a couple times. But one of my, I don't know if hangups is the right word, but one of the things that is not, that has made it for me that I was, wow, that was a good moment, but I wasn't like really emotional was, is due to the fact that there are a lot of times where these sorts of things, at least in deaths and things like that, happen to characters that are confined to a singular arc, right? Or like their story begins and ends in the 30 chapters that we meet them, right? So it's like, you don't get that sort of same, you don't have the time, quite frankly, to get that same sort of connection with someone like Dang Dang, whatever, you're still absorbing the fact that canine people you know what I mean, exists and then Yama's thing and Karaka with Bomb and there's just so many characters at this point that it's, you know, solely focusing on Dang Dang and then there's a big twist and it's like, oh my gosh, and it's super sad, obviously, like in the, in the you know, in a vacuum, but Dang Dang himself is someone that it's like, okay, like he's cool, but I didn't get a, a big chance. I know that was another thing for me on the hidden floor, but even more extreme on that one because people, they don't actually die. But just to give another example of when the guy can't remember his name, but he's got a bat Battis, I think. His wife uh, dies, the woman with the red hair, and there's just, like a big emotional moment, but you know, that was kind of the same thing. It was kind of a similar vibe. I think that this one held more weight for sure, but I think the ultimate one is going to be when this inevitably or hopefully happens, but it's like it's like an OG person, like a Shibasu or like a Rack or a Coon. I feel like Coon's already been, had nine lives. Like, he's already through, been through the gamut. But, you know, someone, <laughs> you know, like, so, someone that's, like, genuinely yeah, close, yeah, like, yeah. one of the OG and in Dorsey, oh, like, something like that. OG. Like, that would be, for me, where it doesn't have to happen for the sake of happening. I'd like to get that across because I'm not one of those people that's just, like, kill them for the sake of killing them because that's more interesting. Like, I think it does have to serve a narrative purpose, yeah. but I do think that this is a story that could set that up, and it genuinely does set... Uh, or serve a narrative purpose, right? Because we've yeah, done that, yeah. but just on a smaller scale. Not that Dang Dang's life is worthless inherently, but you get my point on this level. So oh, that's what I'm curious to see moving forward. And I think that that's the kind of thing that really grips me in the story. But that that's really just me going off on a tangent. In terms of the Gato motivation, it's a, uh, it's a weird call um, because I feel like there is no right answer. And I thought about this a little more even after our live stream because I was pretty adamant with the the fact that I'm like, well, obviously Gato's in the wrong. And while I do, and while I do hold, I still do hold that belief for the most part, I can understand the frustration that Gato has and the helplessness that he seems to have in the whole situation. And I understand the point in trying. It's just at the end of the day, it's, it sucks because Gato's iteration of it is not, let's try and circumvent this with, something that works it's really just like i kind of have to tear this whole thing down right and like right because at least correct me if i'm wrong you know he he, he has to um well is he gonna keep doom alive he said you were gonna be a puppet king right yes never mind i lied okay never mind i lied he's gonna keep them intact but it's gonna be like under his rule and like basically he's gonna be the guy pulling the strings at that point the point is is that it's going, it's, he's doing it for himself completely at the end of the day and just taking that. And I understand, no, actually I don't understand, but I could, I could, I could, let me finish. Um, I don't understand what it's like to have children because I don't have any, but I was going, what I was going to say is that I could try and put my frame myself in the frame of mind of understanding what it would be like to have children. And for most stories we get and for most personal accounts, 
people, parents that care <laughs> are willing, good parents are willing to do virtually anything to save their child or to help them in some way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, so I, I can relate to why Gatto goes down the path that he does. So it's kind of this weird thing. And it's like, at the end of the day, I kind of have to, I guess this is where my, uh, my cold heartedness kind of comes in. Maybe if I want to use a strong term for it, but my, the rationale kind of overrides the emotion for me mm. at that point. And maybe that's because this is a story and I'm not in this situation, right? If it was me, and then, you know, in a similar situation, emotion might get the better of me that time, right? And then I might feel it justified, et cetera. But looking from in outside in the snow globe, you know, I look at things rationally and I'm like, it just didn't add up what, you know, what the whole nine on what you were trying to do. And this was, you know, because you made a mistake. Mm. And yeah, does it suck that you're going to get demonized for having a relationship with a human woman or that your child is going to be ostracized because of that? Yeah, that's super shitty. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean that you get to kind of go about this whole thing and then take Dang Dang's life in, you know, in exchange for it and then just kind of have these people under your rule without their consent. Like, the society is fully on board with the way things are going. At least that's what it seems like. So it, it would be nice to hopefully get some sort of incremental change, but here we yeah, are. We he, only get like 30 chapters to wrap this shit up. So, <laughs> you know, I could go on, but it's like, toxic. it's a really hard yeah, thing. He, he doesn't like, so my thing with it is that you know, there's obvious fault with, I, I think there's definitely some fault with like the cage and, and the system and the society that these canine people run strictly, if for nothing else, the fact that there is no option for Gatto to just like take Dang Dang and leave the cage. Um, I think that, cause that, that's really it in my book, because I, I mentioned this in our live stream, but at the end of the day, dude, once like Gatto made that mistake that, you know what I mean? Of like having relations with the human woman. So like, well, we fucked up. We're here now. You got a kid. It's not his fault that he's born, but he's here. He's in this world now. That's your fault. You got to do something about this. Do you care enough about this kid to make sure he grows up in a healthy or at the very least a safe and somewhat like comforting environment? Or do you care more about your pride and, you know, uh, like your your status in the cage and like, you know, where you sit in this canine society? Because if it's the former then, like, you have to leave the cage. You just can't be here because it's going to be literal hell for Louis to grow up in a place that literally thinks of him as dirt. So, like, that's not fair to him at all. And, like, what, you're like, oh, well, I'm part of the cage, so now he has to be. It's like you're, you're, un you're putting him in an unfair and, quite frankly, unhealthy environment to grow up in, like, just because what you're here, this is where you're from, doesn't make any sense. But if you, if you do truly care just more about the cage than you do uh, Louis – then, like, you've got to give Louis up, you know? Well, like, whether it's, like, I, I don't know, like, how adoption or, like, if there's some version or, or form of that in the tower. But, like, if, if that's what you care about, like, you can't have Louis here. Because, like, uh, people, someone like Louis and this, the society of the cage just don't fit. They don't intermingle whatsoever. Now, again, I think there's some fault in the cage for not presenting Gata with that option and being, like, Oh, you want to leave? Okay, cool. Because I think it's weird. Th this is what weirds me out about the the society of the canine people is that like, yeah, they're they're all about their strength and like that's how they measure stuff and and you know who the top dog is and whatever, and that's all fine, assuming everybody is is uh, signs that waiver right and, and is wants to do that and is, agrees to it and is a part of it. The second you try to like box people in and make them stay here, like even when they don't want to, or like pin them into a corner, it's like your society much like a team, is only as strong as the weakest people, right? So if you have people who are here but don't want to be, like, why Why is that a thing? 
like there should there should be an option. There should always be an option to just leave, to just get out if you don't want to be here, if they can't be here. So, uh, but again, I do think there's more blame ultimately on Gatto for trying to then take the situation and be like, oh, okay, I'll just destroy the entire structure that the canine people have set. I'll make them see that there's a better way to run their society and live it so that that so now Louis can come out and play with everybody else. And it's like, yeah, dude, but you, this shows such a clear lack of misunderstanding from you about who the canine people truly are as a society. Like, make no mistake, Louis doesn't fit in here, but these people, like, they want to be like this. They want to run around and fight all day and train all night, and, and you know, their values of respect come from strictly who is the strongest. That's what they want to do. Like, Doom, and that's what Doom has that line to him. He's like, you're, like, that's not a society that the canine people, you know, want to walk away from at all. So like you trying to change that shows that you wouldn't be fit to run a society, this society in the first place. So it was, you know, that that's definitely where I put the fault on God for trying to sort of like internalize this and be like, Oh, okay, well if I just change everybody else, my problem will go away. It's like, no dude, you made this problem in the first place. You're the one that now has to make the sacrifice to fix it, whether it's giving up Louie or giving up life at the cage. Yeah. Well said, well said. Um, I moving think. on, right to yeah. the uh, to the next question. Good question, by yes, the way. Very good question, y'all. Uh, next question is by Riru again. Uh, it was a very upvoted one. So, <laughs> Riru asks: Michael had an inner monologue about wanting to be worthy of Kuhn's attention instead of Bomb, and to lock him up where only he can see him. What kind of mixed or what kind of feelings, rather, do you think Michael has towards Kuhn? Obsession, attraction, fixation, fatuation, etc. And why does it feel that way? What did he mean when he said that he understands how Rachel feels? Do you think Michael will succeed in taking him away from Bomb? So working from the bottom up, no. Uh, I don't think he's going to succeed unless it's like some really crazy underhanded play, which again, that is kind of Michael's MO, so fair enough. It could happen. But I keep on with these questions now. It's getting funny because we're getting so close to catching up to where everybody else is at this point that when people ask me now, do you think X person is going to do X thing? I think of it in terms of like, well, you're not even that much further ahead than me. So unless something's going to happen pretty soon, like, uh, you know, the the way I answer the question, the way I think of the question is framed differently now. Like before it was always under the assumption that when they asked this question, like they clearly knew. But now I I question, you know, I guess it's just you want to, you're curious, you know, you might not know. So... You know, I, I feel a little more free to answer it in a way like, hell no, there's no way. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But so I don't think he's going to succeed in taking him away from bomb unless it's like some weirdly underhanded crap where somebody's on the line. Maybe he kidnaps him, et cetera. That could happen. Um, but but I don't know. But again, Michael seems to be like this weird pushover, but he keeps, he's there. Like he keeps on being there and it seems like his part in the story is relevant. And then we also get the, you know, like as weird as that might seem, it's like, why would he be there if he wasn't relevant in any capacity? Right. And then, you know, maybe it's just to introduce the arc Raptor, arc Raptor's daughter, uh, as the other person. And like, you know, Michael's the means to the end. So I don't know. I don't think he's going to do it. That's it. Final <laughs> answer for back. That, that's what, that's what I'm doing. Okay. So going from the top now, um, what do I think his feelings are towards Kuhn? I don't know. My, I'm, I, I have mixed feelings on the whole thing. I'm like, Oh, that came out of nowhere. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I literally came out of nowhere. I'm like, I didn't know it was like that. You know, like, do you like, like Kuhn? Like, understandable. You're probably there with 90% of the fandom to begin with. But, I like, yeah, <laughs> like most of us get it. But, but, um, I just didn't know, you know, you didn't say anything, but, yeah, so I don't know what the deal is. I think it's maybe I think it's somewhere with it's 
Well, I guess attraction and, and infatuation, fixation, all that kind of thing are not the same words, but in this context are kind of synonyms to each other. So I do think it's a mixture of that. I think that he might be attracted to him in some way, shape or form. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I think he's, you know, I, you know, Michael thinks Kuhn is sexually attractive per se. It doesn't have to be that it could be, you could be attracted to someone for different reasons for whatever it be like their leadership skills or, you know, how they operate as a person, et cetera, or just, you know, want to be the center of attention. It doesn't matter who it was. If the leader's showing somebody more attention, et cetera. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn on what it is because that was such a random thing out of nowhere that I, I could, I could, um, I, it's hard to kind of piece it together. Uh, what do you mean when he said that he understands how Rachel feels? I don't know. No, no. Just like, um, if I'm looking at it objectively, I guess what he means, although obviously, you know, that's whatever. There's a whole other conversation. Um, I guess it's that bomb is that I guess he's taking his resentment. And I could be misreading this, but I guess Michael is taking his resentment out on bomb uh, within that monologue. And I mean, also Kuhn as well, but you know, Kuhn is the, is the point of his fixation and his, his obsession or attraction. So very rarely I feel do, or, you know, sometimes people make that person the target for the blame per se. And it's somebody else taking you away mm. from me. That might not always be the thing, but at least that's how I'm reading into it here. So I think he's blaming bomb for that, where it's like, why are you so obsessed with bomb? Why don't you ever look at me like that? You know, like blah, blah, blah. So it's all bomb's fault. Meanwhile, bomb's just like, you know what I mean? Like Bob's <laughs> just there, like he's just doing his thing. So maybe that's what he means by I understand how Rachel feels where Bomb throughout this story has made all of these friends seemingly in a, in a, in a way that didn't require him to try much, at least through Rachel's lens. Yeah. And, you know, that he gets all of these amazing power-ups and he's so gifted and this, that, and the third, and woe is me because I'm Rachel and I'm terrible. So... Maybe that's his his shtick here is that he thinks that, oh, I get how Rachel feels now because nobody could get their damn eyes off bomb. You know, it's like, relax. Mm. Like, why doesn't somebody notice me over here? You know, and it's like, well, maybe if you weren't acting like a piece of garbage, you know, <laughs> and it's like, maybe you could better yourself before you're so obsessed with knocking somebody else down. But I digress. Um, curious to hear yeah. your thoughts. First off, anybody that sympathizes with Rachel, it's just down <laughs> Immediately knocked down on the totem pole um, because you understanding how Rachel feels tells me that actually tells me all I really need to know about your character <laughs> in that it's not complete. Um, but so, yeah, I, I definitely thought this was weird, too. And I was, I was actually talking with Riru about this in the discord yesterday um, because she brought it up. And I do think that it was really fucking weird because it was almost out of nowhere. Uh, now, to be fair, there was there is a seven year time gap that. Coon spent with this team that consisted of Michael and Rachel and all them. So fair enough. Like that, that, that feeling could have fixated in that seven years um, to get this intense. But I guess it's because we never saw any of this and it all came out. Now it's like, Michael, where the actual fuck is this coming from, bro? <laughs> like I, you dude, I honestly thought you'd be dead by now. Like I didn't think you'd be a character around in the story anymore. And now not only are you still here, but like you've got this thing with Coon, where the fuck does it come from? So like, yeah, whatever, super out of left field. Um, but so the way that I've interpreted this is that cause he has a line where he says like, you know, when he's talking about how he understands how Rachel feels, he's like, even in, in all the seven years we spent together, all you ever did was think about and talk about how you were going to get Bam back or how you were doing this for Bam. So I think there might be something to say for the fact that Michael might be fixated 
on Bam, and he is actually taking out through Kuhn, but like specifically in the 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 mindset or the framework here that he's upset that Kuhn doesn't pay attention or give his attention and focus to anybody else other than Bam, right? So it's like, yes, in an essence, he's actually upset at Bam because Bam being the focal point of Kuhn's fixation, but he's upset at Kuhn for not for paying attention to Bam too much, essentially, or, or you know what I mean, or not divvying up his focus and time to anybody else. Now, is it weird that Michael specifically is seems to be asking or yearning for this? Yes, because it implies that he wants some of that attention from Kuhn on him, right? Because it would be weird if he was, like, asking, like, why don't you ever, like, look at Rachel? Like, it'd be weird if he was, if he was upset for somebody else. So my only, the only thing I can conclude is that Michael wanted some of this set attention. So, and plus that coupled with the line of, I want to lock you up in a room where only I can see you. Um, like, so sure, maybe there's some of that. And it was funny because in the conversation we had in the discord yesterday, we got into like the whole yandere archetype thing where it's like, he might just be batshit, batshit crazy. Um, and I kind of think he is. <laughs> and like, you know, so fair <laughs> enough if that's just the route we're going down here. Um, but it's very interesting because to, to pull a little bit out of that conversation, um, the Yandere archetype is interesting because the main place that I think most people see it is in stuff like harem anime, where it's sort of um, fetishized a little bit and sexualized because it's usually like some cute anime girl doing it. So you're like, oh, damn, she batshit crazy, but like kind of hot. So like, it's okay. Um, but when you see, this is probably what it, that archetype would actually look like in real life. And it we see that it is instantly not as flattering <laughs> and not as uh, easy to, you know, bat your eyelashes away when they say some backward shit like this. And uh, it, at the end of the day, it is ultimately harmful, right? Even A, that archetype is weirdly, you know, toxic and it, it implies that it's like, Oh, you ha like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just not good. To, it wouldn't be good to be in a relationship with somebody like that anyway, right? Because there's a huge overfixation on one person in that and not the two, the, the partnership there. Um, and, you know, and every, anybody deserves better than that. But I, I, I think this thing, that's the only thing that I can really draw to when it comes to this. Because, again, it seems like such an intense feeling so out of nowhere and so specific with what, like, again, Michael's not like, oh, I just want Kuhn dead, you know? Because then it's like, I'm sure we could find someone else in the story that thinks that. Like, that's not a, a weird, random off feeling. But this feeling is very weird and random because he doesn't just want to kill Kuhn. He doesn't want to uh, send him out of the tower or anything. He specifically wants to just lock him away in a place only he can access, right? Which implies that, like, it's not it's not he wants to, like, get one over on Kuhn or he wants to, like, be better than Kuhn. He wants the fixation that Kuhn has with Bam on him. So I'm like... That has to be, yeah, that I, there's some level of, like, obsession, attraction, fixation, something there. And like you said, the, all those words kind of mean, are, are, are not the same thing, but they do orbit in the same sphere when it comes to, like, what the resounding feeling behind all of them is. At least when it comes to Michael and Kuhn's thing here. And so, yeah, like, I guess he's, he is attracted or inspired by the length that Kuhn is willing to go for someone like Bam. And maybe it's just something as simple as like, Michael doesn't have anybody like that in his life. And he's like, wow, oh fuck dude. Like that'd be dope. <laughs> if I had someone in my life that was like willing to go fucking through these lines. Like, Cause at that time in the, in the time gap, they thought Bam was dead, you know? And for all intents and purposes, he was. So for Kuhn doing all of that on basically as a, on Bam's death wish, it, like is a says a, it says a lot about Kuhn and Bam's relationship, what Kuhn thought of Bam, and so seeing that day in and day out might have made Michael be like, "Why the fuck is this guy trying so hard? Like this dude's dead, bro. Like just move on and do your shit." And so, 
yeah, I, there, you know, I've been kind of rambling, but like to, to sum it all up, it is actually, it's pretty complicated. It is very weird and complicated what this feeling is. And part of me is like, Oh, I wonder if SAU is going to flush it out. But I also, if I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with you guys, I like kind of don't give two fucks. Like if Michael died in the very next chapter, I'd be like, ah, sucks anyway. Um, because I have a, I'm starting to have a real problem in this story. And this is a personal thing and it might be kind of minority because even the people who don't like Rachel, well, I don't know, but at least for me, these characters like Rachel and these characters like Michael who at least at this point now, like, again, I echoed this point before, who just sort of seem to, like, exist because the story needs them to exist, I just really can't get behind. And, like, yes, there's arguments that, like, Rachel has a point to be here. Whatever. Michael, I feel like, doesn't. Michael, I feel like, has even less of that behind him than somebody like Rachel might have. And so I just get annoyed when it's, like, this tower, this story has done so much to emphasize that, like, this place is a cruel fucking bitch, all right? And, like, people don't get to, like, people die. Like, the, the thing that happened with, uh, what's his name? The canine d- dude who we, who just got sniped. Yeah. Um, I forget his name. Joe's always mad about it. <laughs> um, uh, I forget his name. But that that whole point was SIU trying to hammer down on the fact that, like, no, no, no. When regulars meet rankers, like, that's the kind of shit that normally happens. They get sniped without a second thought, and then the, the rankers just move on about their day because they're basically nothing to a ranker. So it's like, in this world, in the tower, if you don't mean something to somebody, fuck you alive. You know what I mean? If you come into this area where, like, canine people are shooting shit and elders are, like, you would should be dead. Like, why are you so... So it's like, and Michael doesn't have any specific skills or connections that would be keeping him alive. And all the other people around him in this fug group, i.e., Maybe perhaps Ark Raptor's daughter. I mean, although she hasn't really done anything to, to keep him alive. Um, Apple, you know, whatever. I guess what I'm getting at is I don't buy the fact that Michael didn't fucking bite the dust yet. And I, it, it pisses me off, to be honest, the more and more he's alive because he's like, oh, well, I just hid in the corner. And like, nah, and it's like, now I'm just here alive still. So I get to fester and be mad at Coon for whatever, for loving Bam. And like, I'm just like, I don't understand like how the fuck you're still alive. And I, it, it's making less and less sense to me and I'm getting less and less engaged with your character. And like, so when things like this get introduced, I'm like, Oh, it's a weirdly complicated emotion that you're feeling. It's like, dude, but I don't care. Cause like, why are you alive? If you can't justify, <laughs> dude, we're on the 52nd floor. We're at the stage where bam is busting out fucking two thorns and fucking half red threeshas and Yama's transforming into a giant lion King fucking super <laughs> saiyan four. If you can't be on that level, bro, like you have to justify your existence being on this floor and it can't be why well, I was just here in the background because it's like, why didn't you get blown the fuck away? I just, that's just, it just could you, uh, because now this is kind of funny to me. Could you not make a similar argument for characters like Kuhn per se, or somebody that's in bombs group that is clearly nowhere near the level of bomb and also has no business fighting like on that level or even being occupying the same battlefield. Maybe Kuhn is a bad example, but like, well, I, actually, I don't know, like so, someone, someone within like the, you know, the bomb group that is like obviously on the weaker side, comparatively speaking, or not even that weak. They could be strong and because bombs just different. Well, so just curious. No, because that's the thing is that like Michael, first off, when I say that, I imply that like forget floor 52. I don't even know how the fuck Michael made it to floor 30 or like, <laughs> like, you know, past wherever the fuck he was, because again, there's been no there's been nothing to exude that this dude has any phenomenal skills that could get him anywhere doing anything unless he's not following a stronger group. Like, I actually think that Ark Raptor's daughter is probably like 
the tank of this group. She's probably the one that like carries these dudes and is the reason they're alive. But like, that's my point is that like, well, fucking lucky that he got paired with her. Right. It's like, cause, <laughs> but like people like Kuhn and rack, even when they engage in these fights, they don't engage in fights on these levels to the same degree that bam does. Bam has the gift of having all the strength. So he can kind of just throw his head at somebody and he'll probably be fine more or less, whether he gets, whether his attack succeeds or not. Kuhn and Rack can't take those risks, so they they don't they just don't fight in the same way that Bam does. They're always either in the background doing the well, at least more Kuhn doing the analytical stuff and finding out like looking for openings and weaknesses or plotting out something in a separate location. And the same can even be said for characters like Shibasu and Hots, who are sometimes altogether removed from these situations and are traveling up the tower a different and albeit probably safer route for characters like them because they don't have someone like Bomb. So it makes sense that these characters are where they are because they're they're tactful about it. But it's like, again, they're tactful in the sense that they're using the skills that they do have like really high up in the stats bar to get themselves up the tower where it's like Michael doesn't seem to have anything, like literally nothing. He's got what, a fat ass syringe? Like <laughs> I don't, there's nothing that Michael has shown where it's like, oh, that's a good, like that would, okay, I could see, I see what you're bringing to the table where it's like you're just bringing this creep factor thing to the table now. And it's like, again, I, I'd be hard pressed to think anybody on this squad, I mean, Apple, she's just like the light bearer, I think, or whatever she can do. That's cool. Um, you know, but like I would argue that anybody other than Arc Raptor's daughter, um, like it's just like you're just lucky that you're on the same team that she is. Yeah, I imagine that she's probably the one who pulls most of the weight in this, at least in this three-man squad here. And uh, I'm kind of sick and tired of him. I think you're being a little hard on Michael. I I understand your. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I understand your point with because you've made it pretty clear with Rachel and things like that prior. And I guess this is where you know it's just kind of depending on how you perceive it um, type thing, if you think resourcefulness is a justifiable enough skill to warrant you being able to go up as far as you have, and obviously <laughs> you've indicated that the answer is no on your end. I think it is, um, you know, a bit, it's a, it's a sleazy one, but is it? I don't know, you know, like that. that's kind of the argument there. But, like, in Michael's group, like, I, I, th- I think... Um, I don't well, we don't know exactly what Arc Raptor's daughter is capable of, but she does evade Rack's spear pretty easily. Yeah. So it's implied that she might be badass. But the other thing that they have is Ghost on their squad, too. Oh, who yeah. did go toe to toe. I mean Bomb beat him, but like he kind of just warped yeah, out of there. Yeah. So like they but got I feel their... like he's not like I mean, like he's on the team, but I feel yeah. like he's not like shoulder to shoulder with them sure, all the time. So yeah. like if they had sticky situations, she was probably the one that they yeah. went to. The, no, they're in a weird spot for sure. And I, and I could see, and I do genuinely understand the grievances with that to an extent, although I don't, I'm not fully on board with them per se. I do understand where they come from, where it's like, sometimes it seems like they're just shoehorned in. It's like, how the fuck did you even make it here? Like, get out, go home. You don't belong yeah. here. You know, like, you know, go to bed. But so I get it. Um, but I, I guess again, my, I guess more of my gripe, if I were to have one, just cause this is fun is uh <laughs> is that i guess sometimes i feel like those characters are inserted just so that the the main cast on the that aren't bomb have something to go up against in terms of like similar power level where it's like oh the big huge fights are happening but at the same time like oh no coon's got his thing going on too right so he's mm. like blocking the blast from michael and doing all yeah. that because like it seems it seems 
kind of convenient that a lot of times that it seems like the people, which I guess this is normally what would happen in a sense, but like the people of similar power levels wind up getting paired against each other. You know what I mean? Where sometimes the, you know, that wouldn't happen. And so the ranker would just be like, turn around and just, and Coon be dead. Right. And it's like, obviously for narrative purposes, like making, I feel like sometimes those characters are, are, Although they're silly, they might almost be required. It's like a necessary, maybe not. And this is where the disagreement come. And fair enough, because I could see the other side of it. But I guess the way I see it sometimes is that they're actually almost necessary for other for other good characters that aren't on DBZ level shit yet and like need sure, some sort sure. of thing to overcome themselves. And I guess that's where it's like, okay, are you okay with that? Are you not? Do you think it's they're needed? Is there another way to go about it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. So I, but I, I like, I get that w- it, from a narrative perspective. If you're like, well, Bam's fighting Yama and they're shooting Kamehamehas at each other. Like <laughs> yeah. we need something for Kun and Rack to do. Like fair enough. A, you could just make somebody from the, the canine people arc like serve that purpose. B, it's not so much that it's like, I'm like, oh, I don't like the fact that that, that their skill is resourcefulness mm. because A, like part of me doesn't even really consider it a skill because I mean, like it is in the sense that like you need to be able to manipulate people to, to like in, in situations to be resourceful. Sure. But it's like resourcefulness. I think it just sits so closely to like dumb fucking luck that like, Kuhn does, Kuhn's not a fucking, you know, Goku, Bam level dude, but he does have genuine actual skills that he can fall back on if resources don't pan out for him. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, when you have characters like Rachel and seemingly Michael, who just literally can't do anything without said connections, it's like, okay then, but fair enough, even if you were to square up against Kuhn, like, you're not walking out of that fight one-on-one by yourself, because, so it's like, how... It, I guess in my mind it becomes, especially once we add more, like with Rachel, she, she was doing it. I'm like, whatever, but like Rachel's do it. The second we like, the more characters we add and give them that same, like well, yeah. they're just really fucking resourceful. It's like, I start to, be, I just, I guess I just genuinely don't believe that like that one skill could get you all the way the fuck up the tower. Sure. I, it could get you pretty far. It, on certain instances, it might even get you to floor 50. But I guess in my mind, that's more like, like, once in a blue moon, rare chance. Yeah. It's not like, oh, re- you got resourcefulness? You're at least getting 75% of the way. Uh, yeah, I think it's a what, like a who you know, not what you know type thing where it's like they do stress that luck is a big factor in the beginning, yeah. which take that as you will, you know, which kind of is a nice plot device to be yeah, like, yeah. you know, to like kind of yeah, just fall back on yeah. where it's like, oh, safety net, it was yeah. luck, you know, it's like <laughs> we already said luck's a big deal in here. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, all right, piss off. But like, to be fair, like, I guess that yeah, would be, I think yeah. Fug is the big thing. You know what I mean? Where That's it's like true. being it's like that there so with Fug huge. and they take such a precedent. Um, I did find a comical though, this <laughs> the rant, but I could see, yeah, like while I understand maybe I have different thoughts on it, I do concede the fact that I also at times feel frustrated by that, that whole luck sentiment or the fact that like a character is here. So I, I get it in that respect, but yeah, just... yeah, no, I don't know. Screw Michael. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hit us up with the next one. Question number six comes to us from Raja Bronco. Thank you for the question. Is that a, is that a new name? I think that's a new name. Yeah, I don't yeah, think everyone yeah. has a name, so congrats. congrats. Um, the question is, what are your thoughts on White saying to Ivankel, you're raising a monster? Who is he referring to? Bam. And this coming, uh, this coming from a monster, this coming from the monster that is white. Uh, so yes, one thing, definition of a hypocritical statement, uh, cause it's like, I'm sorry, you just tell me that. Um, 
you, like you eat souls, right? You know that? Like people's life force, you eat that shit for breakfast. Um, yeah, so I, what I think, because White's actually not the first person to say this in terms no. of that, like Bam is a monster. He's going to be the demon or devil that destroys the tower. Uh, we've heard this thought echoed from people like Rachel. We, I don't get me, or I might be 100% wrong, but I, I could have sworn that, um, did Karaka say something like this at one point? I can't remember. I might have that 100% wrong, and I apologize if I do. But my point being is I am I do believe that there are several people who echo this sentiment that Bam is this, you know, he is the devil. He is this monster that is coming up through the tower, and he's going to destroy everything that everybody loves. Um, I do find it, though, interesting that of all the people who have made this claim, they are all people who we, as viewers, would view as the villains of the story. Uh, and what that tells me, that combined with the fact that there's two very specific instances in the story that I want to reference. One is uh, during the floor of death when Bam and Rachel are with, uh, I believe it's Grand Desa or Grand Deja. I can never t- know who's who. Um, but when he's about to send them to go get, uh, to send them on their way to look for the second thorn or, or get the ladle, I think, and then it's whoever gets it uh, will get the thorn. Um, the moment he meets Rachel, he the first thing he says is he says something along the lines of like, oh, I like, I'm seeing like, I, getting a very imminent sense of like darkness and evil from you um that paired up with the line that we got in the last couple chapters from the martial arts mentor that bam has where he's like it's this is so interesting to me because no matter how much power you get no matter how much stronger you seem to get and it seems to happen exponentially i never sense any wickedness in you like there never seems to be any ill intent to use this power to take advantage of or harm and manipulate people like there's this pure innocent will behind you and everything that you do which made him feel more comfortable giving him these these power-ups in this training so taking those two things and putting them side to side coupled with the fact that everybody on rachel's side seems to be the one sharing the sentiment that bam is a monster actually makes me think that this is really more of a weird self-deflection thing and that it's like the villa sure these people who might actually genuinely be afraid of bomb and the level of strengths he could acquire would be saying that because they're the ones that are gonna have to go up against bomb, right? They're the ones that have to fight bomb and oppose him. So they're like, Oh, you, you're just a monster. You're a freak that like, that's it. That's why you're getting this strong. That's why you're such a threat to me because that's the only, that's the only thing that makes sense when it's like, or (laughs) could it just be that bomb is such a genuinely good guy that he is rightfully more deserving of this power than someone like you who eats niggas souls for a living (laughs) or someone like Rachel, who's just stupid and ugly and dumb. (laughs) 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 um yeah that's that's more or less that's what i i think i do in all cities i think it's i think it is the the villain sort of trying in a weird way to justify themselves like oh you don't understand what you're dealing with one day like you think he's cool now but he's gonna turn on you but i i think ultimately if what the martial arts teachers insight gives us anything it's like i think you guys are just kind of kind of (laughs) jealous Get on my level, bitch. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, I um, that's an interesting thought because I didn't think of it like that, but it makes sense now that you explain it. Uh, my initial thought process was that majority of the people that have said it, excluding Rachel, are strong in some way, shape, or form and uh, understand, like, the dark arts, right? So kind of takes one to know one type thing where they could genuinely sense that it's like, dude, you kind of don't get it. Like, take it from me. Like I'm evil, and I've and I made some like shady deals, yeah. and my powers are weird and shit, and I call Bound Satan himself a fight. So like, <laughs> I know, like, pl- pl- trust yeah. me, like I know that the shit that he's got in him, 
you know, whether yeah, it's fucking Wheaties, fried chicken, watermelon, and then darkness. You know what I mean? Like, I see the darkness in there. So, I'm telling you, he's going to turn into a monster. Like, you don't you don't get it. Like, whatever. I, I warned you, you know? So, I don't know. That That's the way I see it, is that that's they can... Yeah, no, yeah. I, I could see that they see that they could genuinely see... Sorry. That he is very strong. They could sense that. Mm-hmm. So, they're... And, you know, because they've been around the block and they've seen some crap that it's like, I've seen this path before and the rate at which he's gaining power is nuts. Like... I made a deal with the devil, ate a billion people, and turned on five of my siblings, and I'm still not even going to be a fraction of where this kid is, and he's just, like, derping around. You know what I mean? And, like, getting yeah. slapped in the head, and now all of a sudden he could, like, aliens come out of his arm and shit. And it's like, yo, like, you yeah, know, like yeah. the, the sacrifice to reward I'm just, ratio. I'm trying to warn you guys. Yeah, I'm trying to warn you. Like, this is not... But I think one thing that they may be... Um, discounting and i think that is a very vital piece is i the way i see it is that they are just calling him a monster due to the raw amount of power that bomb is going to be able to acquire and at the rate that he's acquiring it and that those people automatically accrue that with some sort of a freakishness like you said which is unnatural to them and they recognize it and be that with that great power because they all went down the road of I'm going to be some evil dude that it's only inevitable that if bomb gets that much power, that's like, you don't understand he's going to do whatever the hell he wants and you're not going to be able to stop him. So like, you should be really careful about giving him the keys to the universe, which you're trying to do essentially. But I think one thing that they might be discounting and what the hope is, is that bomb his personality and his uh, sense of justice and, and mor- morals and values are in, you know, he has enough integrity to even when having that sort of power doesn't use it for what everyone would automatically assume he's going to use it for. And I think some of the evil guys are a little more in tune with what with that involves. Whereas the good guys maybe don't see bomb as ever going down the evil route. And it's like, he's, a, he's, he's been good. So he's going to continue to be good. And the evil guys are like, no dude, like I know how this goes. And like that you're creating a literal monster. You're putting all these ingredients into this dude and it's going to blow up in your face. Um, but that's going to come down to bomb. I, I think it's like this, this like Superman like complex thing where where it's like the older I've got, the more I appreciate that archetype where it's like, I know when I was younger, I like, I detested the idea of like Superman or like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. because I was like, Oh, he's just overpowered and it's annoying and whatever. But the older I get, the more I actually love those kinds of archetypes um, because of the fact that it's, what do you do when you're essentially a God and you can do whatever the hell you want and to then be good still in face of that and to make the right decision takes an overwhelming amount of strength. I mean, I know we've said this before, but, you know, things like teachings of, like, Jung and Nietzsche and stuff say that you, you're not necessarily good just because you don't you can't inflict harm. Yeah. You're good because you can inflict harm and you understand what the evil what evil is and darkness is and choose not to do that in spite of it. And, you know, someone like Nietzsche would probably say that most people only don't do bad things because of the law. And if it, it's not because they're morally good, it's because they're too afraid to go ahead and do what they do. Oh, yeah. What do you do when you take the limiter off that? There is no law that could contain you. You're unkillable, right? You have the power to destroy things at will, you know, to, to virtually live forever. None of that applies to you anymore. So now the cuffs are off, dude. Like no one's going to, you, you don't have to answer to anyone. You are the one, you are the alpha. So what are you going to do with that? And I think more people than, than not maybe, you know, might do some stuff that they didn't think they would do or like they say yeah, it. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know till you're there. So it's a long rant. But the point is, is I think that's 
that to me is an interesting archetype. And I think that's what bomb is really going to have to contend with at the end of the day is like, okay, I have this godlike power. How do I use it? How do I not make the same exact mistakes that Jihad made? Cause it seems like Jihad is literally the mirror image of bomb, but went down the wrong path, which seems unfortunately like it would be all too much more common at that point. Sure, the dude's sure. like trying to control fate and all that kind of shit now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's the way no, that's a very, I interpreted it. Very so. good point and a very good perspective and take on it. Cause I mean, he, he, yeah, th- that is, that's definitely the contention, right? With that archetype is that it's like, Oh, well, if he's got so much power, like why do I care about his struggles uh, of like, because mostly it's like, you know, let's take a coon. It's so awesome seeing someone like coon get a power up because it's another leg up he has in, in this overwhelmingly large fight, but it's like, we don't have that worry for bam, but it, it, you know, like you were saying, like with someone like Superman, it's not about them getting the powers and abilities to do something, but it's what they do with it. Right. It's, it's the, that's what makes that character's interactions and stuff matter and still feel human and grounded and give like, make you, give a shit quite frankly you know what <laughs> i mean because it's like i know i'd be i'd be lying if i said i gave a shit about most of the fights bam got into in the sense of like oh fuck is he gonna die like is this it for bam it's like i don't think that i'm almost positive bam's gonna walk <laughs> out of this definitely alive boy might get some scratches and you know bruises and stuff um actually funny enough the only time i genuinely felt afraid for bam's life uh, was in his fight with Data Jihad. <laughs> yeah. Because the frequency at which he would fuck Bam up, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> shit. All right, that's kind of quick. Like, relax, Jihad. Um, like, you know, we got to give him, like, a whole Zenkai boost and shit. But, like, you know, but, yeah, like you said, and you said it very well, that it's it's, it's not Bam getting the power-ups that it's like, oh, oh like, I wonder what he's going to do. But it's how is he going to handle that? Is he going to still be able to stay human in a world that is a virtually trying to make him into a God, you know? Yeah, for sure. Very interesting question. Thank you for it. Yes. Um, all right. So moving on to the last question here we have by confuzzled Asian, uh, confuzzled Asian asks, what are your thoughts on the war heroes that are trapped within the wall? Are they as powerful as the high rankers in the current time period? And do you think that some of them are powerful enough to tip the scales in the coming war? Uh, yes and yes, personally. I think that it'd be really weird to hide people in a wall and call them war heroes, and then they come out and they don't light a candle to the rankers. Like, that would just be incredibly anticlimactic, and it'd be like, why does anyone give a shit about this wall anyway? So I really hope that that's the case, and I do think that that is going to be the case. I think that they're going to compare to high rankers. They might even be previous high rankers, etc., depending on what time periods they came from, whatever. That's a whole can of, uh, can of worms. Um, so, yeah, but what are my thoughts on them that are trapped in the wall? I'm curious to see their different styles and personalities because depending, on again, on what time period they come from, if they are ancient and and they've just been sleeping, theoretically, this whole time, like what their views are on certain things. Like the ancients are interesting because of the fact that they have survived the destruction of their race but have been living throughout the entirety of what's going on. So they're like, I was there when the cell phone was invented. Like I was there when Jihad became president. I was there when this, right? These guys are like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, literally like they're boomers, but it's like, they've, they've lived through this whole thing. Right. So it's like, they're here now and they're not like, I will stick in my ancient ways. And it's like, they rely on that power because that's what they know, but they understand the ever evolving society of the tower and what's at stake now. Whereas, if you are like you get the Captain America Steve Rogers treatment where you're like cryogenically frozen or in a wall and you were maybe one of those ancient people 
Then you come out and you're like, dude, the last thing I, was, I remember is somebody invented sliced bread. That was the craziest <laughs> shit ever. You know what I mean? Like, tell nobody's yeah, top yeah. that yet, right? That's like, true. where'd we go? Like, you know, like, how are horses faring? And it's like, no, like, you don't get it. You know what I mean? There's a fleet of warships. So it's like, that will be interesting to see if they are, if they've been secluded from the outside world mm. in that sense and yeah, how they yeah. do that. Um, or they're not. I don't know. I don't know why these people in particular are considered war heroes and why they specifically are in the wall. I know that sounds like a silly question, but are they the only war heroes, right? Like, was Or were there other war heroes that were not put in there, right? Because there seem to be people that I, we've seen in the story that would probably scale to them in terms of power level, right? So I'm assuming that jihad still kick in. Like I said, some of the ancients are still around, that there are people that probably have had accomplished similar feats to the war heroes and they're not in the wall. So like, what's the stipulation for putting these dudes or ladies in the wall specifically? Why is it specifically that they go in the wall? Did they volunteer? Was it like, were they from a certain era, you know, that, that would go in there? I don't know. I I'm curious to see though. And I think we're going to get this, this we're going into the next arc now. And I sort of not really, I don't know. And we're going to see, I think like, their individual personalities as we go through and maybe release them like one at a time or sure, whatever yeah, the case yeah. is. And it'll be cool to see. Cause it's like unlock your next character. And they're yeah, like, yeah, they're yeah. all jacked. You know what I mean? So like, this or is going to be fun backstory on that, or just backstory. Honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where their heads at, but that's, those are my thoughts anyway. Yeah. I definitely, I also agree with the sentiment that these dudes got to be able to rock house. Like when they come out, they got to come out swinging. And like when they swing as in, they flick a finger, like a mountain goes down, you know, like otherwise, yeah, literally, it makes no re- there's there's no sense to why anybody would care or try this hard to do any of this, um, because especially if you take all the context from the story um, that we uh, of this wall is that this wall is supposed to be a literal personification of the treaty, the peace treaty, basically between Jihad, his empire, his upper empire, and um, the. And everybody else in the tower, right? And it was like, okay, so my understanding actually is that, and this is just speculation, obviously, but that the people who are in the wall either voluntarily went into the wall or Jihad told them to go into the wall. Like, he ordered them to because if they weren't, there'd be no way to justify peace. Like, they're, they're, the, this fight, the, the, the main fight, let's just call it, would still be going on. There'd be no, in, even if it is... At least from the 50 floors we've already climbed, we know that peace treaty is like kind of a BS term to explain what's happening now. But like what we've seen would be considered peace compared to what would be going on if these dudes were just be able to cut loose and run around the tower. So I think Jihad was like, all right, fair enough. I'll lock these dudes up. I'll, and this wall will re- re- resemble like this is my gift to you all. This is I'm this is the peace treaty I'm willing to make. I won't have these fucking monsters or whoever they are roaming the tower willy nilly. Um, if you all do what I say and, you know, that sort of, at least, you know, uh, generalizing seems to be the agreement we've come to. Now, the question is now that Jihad has made these orders and he's basically willing to go to war again, he's like, all right, going to war. Like first thing we got to bust these dudes out of this wall. Cause like they're animals and I need these animals. Um, so it's in, yeah, it is definitely interesting. So that's the other context where it's like, oh, these dudes got to cut, like they got to be able to rock house dude. When they come out, like they must be something, they must make high rankers kind of look silly. Um, you know, at least that's my speculation. So I definitely think that they're powerful enough to tip the scales. The question, like you said, though, and, and, you know, framed it interestingly where it's these people might not be your, uh, you know, these people will be 
more like your Steve Rogers, I would imagine, where it's like they're just they've literally just been fucking cased in concrete or whatever the wall is made out of for for this long. You know, for who you know, from whenever that war happened, uh, which I believe they refer to as Genesis, um, all the way up till now. So it's like I can't imagine that like they progressively like educated themselves and had mind blowing changes of personality and views in the tower. They're probably just like <laughs> so like when they get out, they're like, all right, back to the war. You know, it's like nothing changed for them. So I, I wonder though, if Bam and company specifically Bam, cause he has that ability, uh, will be able to influence all of them or any of them to, to maybe switch sides or at the very least not fight with Jihad. Cause it's like, Hey, maybe like this stuff, maybe, maybe to be honest again, cause I, I would imagine, I would imagine that the difference between King Jihad the King Jihad who locked up these dudes in this this wall and the King Jihad we have now, quite frankly, is just experience. Is the current King Jihad is so much more comfortable being a tyr- uh, a tyranny like dick, <laughs> you know, than the than the former or the yeah, the former was that like he might have been like, guys, I'm locking you behind this wall only because of the potential and power that I know you guys have. I promise I will do everything to protect these people and this tower while you guys are asleep. And it's like, all right, we trust you. And they lock him up and it's like, all right. Kill all the, you know, to like the second the, the last piece of concrete or whatever goes in, he's like, kill them all, all of them. Like, I don't care. Um, you know, hang my flags all up in this room. So it's like, I imagine, I wonder if they come out and they're like, oh, Jihad, I hope he like, you know, he did all the things that he said he was going to do. And Bam's like, no, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I have to be, but like he didn't, <laughs> he's doing the opposite. Actually, we're actually, we're about to go to war. Um, I also think that this wall, which I believe is called the wall of peace and tranquility or something like that is the most ironically named thing in the world because there's a, there's a war at this wall and whoever breaks these people out of this wall will decide the fate of the actual war that's about to start. So it's like, if anything, this wall does not represent what it, it says. Like coexistence yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like peace and coexistence. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and and that's my thing also is that just off the name of the wall, these dudes can't be, they can't be anything less than like above high rankers because the way that they make these people sound is that they would, they, they are literally the thing that'll tip this war. Meaning whoever side they're on, that's the side that like is most projected to win the war. Now, whether that's just stats, whether that's because they have some weird ancient thing, I don't know, but to give them that level of thing to, to say that the only reason people can coexist in this tower is because these dudes are locked up in, in X amount of feet of concrete or whatever. These dudes have to be big and powerful <laughs> and they have to come like, they have to just be top stacked. Now, again, I don't think that means a whole lot for people like bam, <laughs> because I'm sure it'll be fine. But, uh, I wonder if that moment we talked about earlier where it's like with dang, dang and Louie reflected on the main cast might, and might be coming to us sooner than we think as a result of one of these dudes. Cause like I said, Bam will be fine, but Bam is a special case, and not all our characters share Bam's O-penis. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my thing. Well said, friend. Anyway, that is going to do it for our questions and answers today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you are smashing like on this video, subscribing to the channel, and hitting that bell if you are new here and you enjoy what it is we do so you don't miss any future content on the channel. And comment your thoughts down below. What did you think of the questions posed, our answers to them, our general discussions, etc.? We're curious to hear all that. We also have our comment of the day. Uh, the question we posed last week was, who was it that gave Kuhn the uh, Yeon Flame, his new ability and power? Um, so if Isaiah, you want to read off the comment for us. 
Yes. So it was from Anaketh, uh, who's actually, I recognize the name from questions. Yeah. have been asked before, so congrats. Loyal fan. Congrats. Uh, the comment is, uh, okay, technically, the one who gave Kuhn the flame power was the little jelly bean who actually hit him, but it came from Wu Neon, <laughs> which is about as right as you can be. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, then comrades, I think Yama show, Yama's shown development uh, left a lot of hints as to whether he would rather leave Solo or stay with the cage. I won't tell you how it actually goes down, but Yama is definitely leaning towards one of the two options right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we see that yeah. actually in this read through where there's this um this moment with him. Um why am I drawing a blank here? When when he has the moment when his boys show up and oh, girls, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and he's like, I'm not alone type thing, which yeah, kind of yeah, reminded yeah. me weirdly of uh Asai in Haiku when he like spikes the ball oh, in episode nine. Dude. Watch Haiku. Uh that yeah. was my plug. But no, anyway, point is is that it seemed like he was going through that. And I don't know if there's gonna be more to that because we didn't see the full ramifications of the fact that uh Kitty Man can just control everyone. Yeah, in hindsight, the moment was cute, but it's like, oh fuck. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's gonna be more to that, and then he makes an ultimate decision uh one of my theories is that maybe yama joins the main crew and goes off on his own and has uh the bald dude with spikes coming out of his chest to be the new leader guy Calzone. maybe yeah calzone <laughs> that was a, a cans on so i don't know yeah, but yeah, yeah. anyway annikath thank you very much for the comment and for watching until the end of the video i did notice that you watch pretty damn frequently until the end of the video so we do appreciate it uh, but we just got to let some other people get some um, some love, too, <laughs> because you are just, yeah, it's good, man. Seriously, we do appreciate that. But uh, we have a question for this for this um, um, video. What is the name of the clone in white, the last clone? So, like, the one that he often refers to as, like, the one controlling him or making it so that he can't kill Bam. Um Okay, yeah. the, the female one? Yes. Right? Okay, the female clone. I think that's the only sister, or there are two sisters? No, there's the little girl. Oh, uh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Well, so the last one. The, okay. Yeah. Yes, good question. So answer that, and then comment your thoughts down below. We might just shout them out on our next episode, so you definitely want to do that. Also, big shout-out to our patrons, especially our Acolytes of Anime, Stoic, Nathan, and Minduit. We appreciate all of our patrons. Uh, if you want to go check that out, we have links in the description down below for you to support the show, like our Patreon, where you can get exclusive benefits while supporting us, so it's really a win-win. We also have the AOA Reacts channel down there, so definitely sub to there. If you are here and you enjoy our content here, there's really no reason not to. You can catch all of our reactions there and our live read-throughs that we have for Tower of God or anything else that we decide to potentially pick up in the future, among many other things. Join that Discord as well so you could pose your questions. We're nearing the end here in terms of catching up, uh, so the format in terms of our content is going to have to obviously change at that point. So if you want to try and get your questions in at the last second here, or just join the conversation in general, highly encourage you to join that Discord. The link is in the description down below. But anyway, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we'll catch you all on the flip. Peace. Watch IQ in peace. Ninjas are samurais, blazing the cool knives. Find me in the leaf of the cloud, screaming out Bankai. We just some ghouls though, who like seeing parts fly. They like what you saying. Goma got more through the storylines. I tested your neck from the start. My hunters gon' come for your heart. I promise you'll land in my boulevard. Left them in one piece. No.